Welcome to another inspiring message from David Hall, pastor of LifePoint Church, Adelaide, Australia. It's our sincere prayer that you would experience the presence and power of the Holy Spirit as you listen to this message. For more information, please visit davidhall.com.au. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1. Now, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honourable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valour, but, somebody say but, but a leper. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master were with the prophet who is in Syria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. And Naaman went in and told his master, saying, thus and thus said the girl, from the land of Israel. I love that. Thus and thus said the girl who is from the land of Israel. Verse number nine. Then Naaman went out on his horses and chariot and he stood at the door of Elisha's house and Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored to you and you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, he'll surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Are not the Abana and the Farfa rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned away in a rage. And his servants came and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, you would have done it. Would you not have done it? How much more when he says to you, wash and be clean? So he went down, dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. I want to use for a subject this morning, I'm going to do a two-part message on the river of God. And and the power of the river. And I want to talk this morning, a message really entitled, There's Something in the Waters. There's, there's something in the waters. We read in verse 1 that this is an incredible man of God. But we see uh, quite a lot of contrast here. We see the Bible gives him accolades, calls him a commander, calls him a great and honourable man, a man of valour, a mighty man. But the Bible can't help but just let you know the weakness in his life, let you know the biggest challenge that seems to undermine all of those things. He was great, but he was a leper. Now, we've got to understand leprosy in the Old Testament and Jewish law and, and in biblical law really means that he was a, a man that they called cursed. So to have leprosy was uh, the greatest, really, it was, the, it was the end of your life. It was, it was over. Even though you were alive, you may as well be dead. And I don't know what happened. Maybe one day uh, he, he, he undressed and, and saw a blemish on his skin and he knew that now the clock was ticking. When somebody notices this, whether that be, I don't know, one of his servants or somebody gets wind of the fact that this little bit of skin condition, which is debilitating in those times, now we've got cures for those things. But he knew at that moment that his life, his rule, his authority, his position in the Syrian army, it was over. He was, he was done because what has now come upon him is a plague. What's now come upon him is a total curse and, and his life is over. And so at this moment, Naaman knew that he had trouble. And I don't know if it got public 
I don't know really too much, but what I do know in his immediate circle, there was a conversation about it because, because there, were, there, were, there was a girl in his house, and I'll talk to you about that. But before we, we talk about that, really, he was a commander and a conqueror, but he was about to become a castaway. He was, he was about to be put in exile. He would have had to live outside of the city, and, uh, and he, was, he was in a bad way. His whole future was over, and everybody would have said it's because of sin in his life. God has cursed him with a curse because he has stepped outside of obedience. So automatically, he's considered guilty of something, even though he may not necessarily have been guilty. And we see in this story, it's a story of God's power to transform. It's a, it's a story of God's power to heal and God's power to deliver. We see that here in this story. And, and let me say one thing about God. He hasn't changed. So if you're going to heal somebody then of a skin condition, he can heal somebody of a skin condition today. But that represented a lot more than just a skin condition. It represented a curse. It represented, it represented the fact that God was in judgment of him in the eyes of people. But I want to tell you, we serve a God who's a God of grace, who's a God that gives back what the enemy's stolen. And you may be worthy of judgment, but God in his grace, he comes and brings the blessing of God into your life. And we read this story and, and I see... I see so many lessons as to how to get breakthrough. It's funny because I feel like so often if I preach, what comes out of my heart whenever I look at Scripture is, 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 is breakthrough, it's miracles, it's faith, it's the power of God, it's living in victory. And the reason I keep coming back to these things is because I feel like as a church and as the people of God, we're not always living in breakthrough. We're not always living in victory. And I want to encourage you to, you know, we're a faith church. We're a people that believe in the supernatural of God, that God is able to do exceeding abundant above and beyond anything we can ask, think, or even imagine. And we see in this story so many unlikely things that bring about a miracle. And I want to give you three today. And I'm going to spend time on each of these and preach into it. But I really do believe there's something in the waters of God for us as a church, for you. What does that mean? In other words, I can't do it, but the waters of God can. There's things that we can't do that the Holy Spirit can do. it. And we see three, three lessons, three keys in this story as to how to bring breakthrough into our life. And, or three things that took place. Number one, we see in this story the power of speaking up. The power of, uh, of speaking into a need, speaking into a problem. And, and the reason that's so important is because if you knew who spoke up, you'll realize something about this story. The hero is not Gehazi. The hero is not Elisha. The hero is certainly not Naaman or Naaman's wife. It's this young girl. We don't know her name. What we know is she's a 16-year-old who, during the Syrian uh, invasion of Israel, she was taken from her home, taken from her brothers and sisters, taken from her family. Probably one of her jobs would be to take care uh, of the physical needs of Naaman. So she was probably really a sex slave in the house of Naaman in, in, in what is a nasty, oppressive situation. You talk, about, you talk about a godly girl, she's having to... to, to, to be the mistress in the house to take care of the wife, take care of the husband when her brothers and sisters have been killed and, and, and destroyed by this governor, uh, this, this general in the, in the army of Syria. So this girl is living under those conditions and living, if that was me, if I was that girl, and I'm not even trying to be funny, you might ha ha, but I'm not, if that was me, I'd be sitting back going, he deserves it. That's the judgment of God. He's killed my family. I'm not, I'm not helping him. Good. 
You might say, well, that's very pastoral. I'm human. Look at you all going, no, I, I, would, have, uh, I would have prayed for him. And let, me say, you wouldn't have, let, me, let me tell you right now, we are, we, we, are, uh, we are seeing an example of an incredible young lady who she's a slave in a palace. She shouldn't be there. But the problem is, she, where was she taken from? She was taken from the people of Israel. She was a woman of God. She had been raised in the house of God. She had been raised to know the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the one who does supernatural miracles, the one who, who leads with a pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night, who brings manna from heaven, the one who supernaturally provides and the one who supernaturally blesses. She knew that God and she couldn't help it, even though he didn't deserve it, even though he shouldn't have had it. She obviously had a revelation of grace. And so it came out of her mouth. I don't know. And she said to Naaman's wife, I know somebody uh, who knows somebody and, and, and that somebody is Elisha and that somebody knows God. And, come on, somebody help me. And, and, and he's going to be able to help you there. There is a prophet in the land. There is somebody in the land that's connected to the power of God. I pray that we would be a church like Elisha. I pray that we'd be a church where people in Adelaide, when they face breakthrough, maybe somebody that we don't even know about might say, look, Oh, that problem you've got. I know some people on the corner of Milne and McIntyre Road. I, they're a bit weird. They're a little bit crazy. But if you go into that place, there's a miracle for you in the name. She knew where the miracles were. Do you know where the miracles are? Oh, they're in the name of Jesus. They're in the power of the Holy Ghost. They're in the Word of God. We've got miracles. Miracles are available today. We're living in the day of miracles. <laughs> and I thank God for this girl having the courage. The ma- There's so much to learn from her about bitterness, about Making the most of difficult... I mean, she is the hero in this story. Naaman, I think God healed Naaman in spite of Naaman. Because there was a girl who had enough faith. And who knows what kind of trouble she would have got in if the miracle hadn't come. God honoured her faith. Can I tell... No matter how bad things get, square your shoulders, be a person of faith. Point to the miraculous. Point people to the power of God. I think she was Pentecostal. (coughs) I know a miracle guy. So do I. His name's Jesus. I know a miracle guy. His name's the Holy Spirit. And and he can touch your heart and touch your life. I pray that we'd be the person that... I want to be like her. I want to bring people into connection with God. This Franklin Graham meeting this week, can I tell you, there's a problem in Adelaide and it's people's souls are lost. It's worse than any outward leprosy. It's leprosy of the soul. And guess what? We know a guy. We know a guy called Franklin. He knows a guy and he's going to introduce you to that guy. And then the mediator between you and God is the Holy Ghost. And salvation and blessing can come into your world in the name of Jesus. Can I, can I tell you, I want to be like because I know what I'm like. I'd be like, leprosy, hey? <laughs> That'll teach it. And then I'd do a little status update and go, not so powerful now, are you? Yeah. He deserved that. He took a girl from her family and made her a slave. He deserved leprosy. So did we all. She shows us what grace looks like. This is a picture of Jesus. She was abused, 
for his sake. She was abused and, and made nothing. She was rejected. She was taken from what she knew. But even in the middle of that, she stood up and said, I know a guy. Can I say, I know a guy. His name's Jesus. And he's able, he's willing, his hands extended to... Are you with me at the nine o'clock service this morning? We serve a supernatural God. She was so unlikely. She was the unlikely vessel to speak up. You might be unlikely. You might feel like the most unlikely person for God to use. I, it just, I, I want to move on. I'm just, it's just sort of coming to my spirit as I'm preaching. I just feel like I love that God, he, he just seems to... He just seems to take unlikely people and raise them up. People who should never have amounted to anything. People who should never have been people of impact or influence. And God puts his hand upon them, raises them up to be all that they can be. Can I tell you, you might feel like the most unlikely person. Can I say, as long as he's given you a mouth and as long as he's given you a voice, I encourage you, use your voice. Speak the word of God. Point people to Jesus and watch and be amazed at the goodness of God. She knew a guy. I know a guy. His name's, his name's Jesus. The power of speaking up, the power of God's word in an unlikely vessel. God will put a slave in a palace to bring an answer. In the name of Jesus. Another, another lesson we see in this story is, is the power of radical obedience. I've said this before, but the miraculous often requires the ridiculous. The miraculous often requires the ridiculous. That's, that's why we, we, we encourage people to be a bit wild about Jesus. That's why we encourage people to lift their hands and lift their voices and pray in the Holy Spirit and, and, and believe God for the super, it, it's supernatural. It's ridiculous. But often it unlocks the miraculous. You think a little boy bringing two fish and five loaves to Jesus to feed 5,000 people is ridiculous. But it unlocked the miraculous. Spitting in a dirt. Then saying, hey, put it in your eyes and go and walk in the pool of Siloam, 90-foot staircase. Walk down. Saying to a blind man, walk down a 90-foot staircase. To be, it's ridiculous, but it made room for the miraculous. Waiting 10 days in an upper room for the Holy Spirit to come. We didn't even know what that meant or how he looked or how he operated. But they did it. Thank God that they did something ridiculous, which brought something miraculous in the name of Jesus. Touching Jesus, the hem of his garment. There's a woman with the issue of blood. She had had it for 12 years, suffered the hands of many physicians, spent all she had, and she grew worse. And, and she said within herself, I believe by the Spirit of God, she said within herself, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I know I shall be healed. So she pushed through the crowd. Everyone she touched became unclean. Everyone she touched became ceremonially, ceremonially unclean. She didn't even care because she had a mission. She was going to touched Jesus. And when she touched him, immediately the bleeding stopped. Why? She did the ridiculous and it unlocked the miraculous. You, you say living a holy life in 2019, that's ridiculous, but it unlocks the miraculous. Being a tither is ridiculous, but it unlocks the miraculous. When trouble comes and we pray to a God we can't see is ridiculous, but it unlocks the miraculous. Are, are, are you with me? The, the ridic- it, it, it's, it, it's ridiculous to dip in a river seven times. It's ridiculous to be a somebody and humble yourself and be a nobody. 
and dip in the waters and get in there and just obey God. It's ridiculous. But it's also miraculous. You know, so often we read through the Bible and so many of the greatest miracles that Jesus did or God did in the Old Testament came when God said, do this and I'll move. March around Jericho seven times. Ridiculous. After the six and a half time, nothing's happening. But they obeyed God in totality and something supernatural took place for the glory of God. What's on the other side of ridiculous? What's God speaking to you about at the moment? I'm not, I'm, I'm not talking about in relation to church. I'm talking about in relation to life. You know, maybe here, and God's talking to you. There's little dreams in your heart that God's put there and he's encouraging you to step out. And maybe we're just sitting back and not stepping out and we're just going through the motions of life. Can I encourage you? What ridiculous thing. When's the last time you did something significant by faith? When's the last time you stepped out in such faith that God had to come through? When's the last time you did something that scared you? When's the last time you did something that, oh Lord, I'm doing this by faith in the name of Jesus? Can I, I, I think we live in a great city, a very predictable place. Adelaide's safe. You, can, you have your job, you have your life, and, and, and we just do what we do, and, and that's great. Can, can I tell you, it's easy to actually be a Christian, have faith in God, but not live by faith at all. And so last, so, so, some of us will miss out on the fullness of what God has because we got comfortable. We got comfortable in our, in our world and we never, we never stepped out and did anything ridiculous. Anything radical. I, I'm going to tell a story. It's such, it's such a weird story that I'm almost, I almost feel like it's too weird to say in church. I used to preach it all the time when I was a teenager. I'd tell this story. As a, when I first started preaching, it's two teenagers, I should say. As a teenager, I was not doing a lot of preaching. When the Brownsville revival in Florida took off and it was at its height, there was a, there, I can't remember if it was a guy or a girl, but there was a, a young person from the youth ministry. And, I, and I'd heard this story, and I've now preached for the youth pastors of the day at Brownsville in their churches. And that, they've told me, over and over, this story is absolute fact. I just can't remember if it's a guy or a girl. Let's just call her Denise. Or to nephew, I don't know. It depends which. <laughs> oh. <coughs> so she, she, they, uh, they, they go to, to what, what Americans call a Winn-Dixie, which is like our Woolworths. And this person, I'm pretty sure it was, a, it doesn't matter. I'm getting buried in the detail. So he was, or she, it was uh, just doing their shopping and the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, go and do, now uh, you're going to think that I've lost my marbles telling this story, go and do a handstand in front of that Coke machine. And no, you do a handstand in front of the Coke machine. (laughs) The Holy Spirit again. Go and do a handstand in front of the Coke machine. Now, I know this is weird. I know it's a strange story. Just do it. You, you buy an av- a smashed avo. Go and do a handstand in front of the Coke machine. I don't want to do So this was going on and on and on. Finally, this person yields to the Lord and says, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a handstand in front of the Coke machine because what have I got to lose? So 
This person goes up to the Coke machine, <laughs> gets on their hands and flips up with their legs up against the Coke machine. And as they do that, there's a man working as a checkout chick. And he, at the top of his lungs, he says this, he says, why did you do that? And this person, I'm, I actually do think it was a girl, she said to him, she said, I, I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me. Uh, I'm walking back and forth. I've been in these revival meetings at the church down the road and I, I don't know why. I just had this impression in my heart, I have to do a handstand and I wouldn't stop. And so this guy says, come with me and walks out to the car and he opens the glove box of his car and says, see this gun? I was waking up this morning to kill myself. And he said, so I said, God, if you're real, if you actually care about me, you're going to send somebody to do a handstand in front of the Coke machine at the Winn-Dixie. And, 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 and so anyway, the story goes, that guy was so impacted. I think it was a girl. The girl that, was, that did the handstand leads him to Christ right there in the car. He comes to meetings that night, gets saved, healed, delivered. Separate. It's like one of the famous stories of that revival. Why? Sometimes God will tell you to do something ridiculous. Bob Allen, I feel God saying it's time to do a handstand in front of the Coke machine at at, at, at Foodland today. Uh, in fact, he wants you to go to all of the different Foodlands and do a handstand <laughs> at all of them, and we will take photos. Now, that's a ridiculous story. That's ridiculous. I'm glad he hasn't told me to do a handstand. But here's the thing. When God tells you to do something ridiculous, generally it's because he wants, you to, do, he wants to do something miraculous. That's why when God says, step out in faith, is it ridiculous? Faith is ridiculous. Because faith will cause you to laugh at giants. But on the other side of what's ridiculous, there's something miraculous. Church, I want to tell you, merging a church, three Ks down the road that had a church split. <laughs> Does anyone actually realize that height split and became Ridgehaven and we just unsplit it? I don't know of another church in the world that got unsplit. We, we unsplit the thing. It's de-split. Can I tell you, what a win for the kingdom of God. Number one, was it ridiculous? Yeah, it was ridiculous, but look what God's doing. We're growing. We're seeing the hand of God extended towards us. Why? When do we do? I, I, can I say, I've been pastoring a long time. Anytime I felt God say, do something significant, and I've been scared. He's come through every time. I've made decisions that don't work, but when I've done the big ones that have terrified me, that I think that's ridiculous. Can I tell you? I've seen the miraculous every time. Church, I want to. I want us as a church to stretch. Our our whole theme this year is bold faith. What's bold faith? It's having enough faith to do the ridiculous because God wants to do the miraculous. If he if if, if he says, "Hey, bring me a jar full of water," it's ridiculous when there's no wine and you bring water, but God will do the miraculous. What's the ridiculous? It's just doing something other than what our natural inhibited nature would tell us to do. When's the last time? When's the last time? Oh man, this is exciting. I'm getting convicted by my own preaching. I'm about to lay hands on myself. I'm going to catch myself and give myself a modesty class. Why? Because I think, what, are we, what, what, what ridiculous things are we going to do this year? We've got to do some ridiculous things. I think we've got to take some risks for the glory of God. I think faith is spell risk. When's the last time you took a risk? Maybe some of you, you're sitting on a creative idea from God that may be the thing that unlocks all the provision in your life, but you're not willing to do that one step of faith. Can I tell you, start to have a go. Start to believe God. Start to... Oh, come on, help me preach a little. I'm working hard this morning. Number... 
three. Three point message. I see the power of speaking up. I see the power of radical obedience. And number three, I see the power of the river of God. Let's talk about this radical obedience. Naaman decides to listen to the girl in the house. <laughs> listen to our church. The cool thing is in these crowd mics, it picks up crowds. So if you're going to listen to the podcast, there's power. Here's breakthrough. <laughs> All of you come up in it. That's good. That's how we know. That's how we mark the roll. We listen for the coughs. Yeah, that sounds like a Gary here. You know? <laughs> so, Naaman, you, you've got to know this story. I love this story because I, li- I like how God humbles Naaman. Naaman, the big shot, gets told by the slave, go and see the prophet. But the prophet won't see him. He doesn't even see him. He sends Gehazi, his assistant, which, which, which you know, I, I think God was trying to teach him something. He would have expected the pomp and the ceremony. And Gehazi comes out and he's, he's, goes, okay, so uh, Elisha said, go down to the Jordan, dip seven times, <coughs> and you're going to be fine. Got it? And he, he gets upset. He goes, that's not what I expected. In fact, this is what he actually says. He, 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 verse 11 says, Naaman became furious. I like that. He wasn't angry. He was furious. And he says, <coughs> he went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, he'll surely come out to me and stand. Call on the name of the Lord, his God. Wave his hand over the place. And it, it, it sounds to me, it's often how we are with God. If it doesn't come in the package we want it to come in. It can't be God. I love that God will disrupt what we think he should do. Let me tell you, never put God in a box. Because you'll just get yourself furious. You'll get, because he, there's some, God, this, this is not blasphemy. This is not inappropriate. I'm just going to say, God has a mischievous streak. And if we get religious and try and put him in a box, he will go around that box to get us out of that space. And he knew how Naaman had entitlement. He thought it should be done. I am a big shot. You should, he didn't, he, I love that God's, you know, I'm not, I'm, not even, I'm not even playing that game. I'm just going to send Gehazi. Gehazi will sort you out. And meanwhile, Elisha's out the back watching the big bash and having, having a good time and, and, and believing God for breakthrough there. Can, can I tell you, we as a church, we can't put God... What, what, what if? What if the answer to prayer came in the form of Gehazi going, you know, you go. Maybe it comes in the form of a word. Maybe it comes here when we want it to come here. Maybe it just comes by simple obedience. But here we see he has to go and dip in the river seven times. And then he's complaining about that. He says, I don't like, I do not like the Jordan River. Last time I was there, I went on a cruise. A dead horse floats past. I mean, it is... Gross. It was a dirty river. It was, sewage was in that river. It wasn't a great river. It wasn't pretty. But it was the river that God had said, hey, there's power in that river to bring about breakthrough. So what does he say? He says, I'd rather go to the rivers where I live because they're cleaner. The Abana and the Farfa. I'd rather dip in the Farfa. It's far, far from here. And they're clean. I don't, 
make sure of that. We keep it clean. We, we've got dignity in Damascus, which is now Iraq. Uh, but, but he's saying, this is, this, this, is, this is where, no, it's not, is it? Syria, Syria don't interrupt. So, <laughs> Damascus is in Syria. I made a mistake. Garden of Eden was in Baghdad. Did you know that? Baghdad is right where the Garden of Eden was. Things have changed. So he wants to dip in his rivers of familiarity when God says, I want you to dip in the river of my power and, and would I've anointed. And so he gets upset. Can I say, when it, why do we do these revival meetings? We, and why as a church do we ask the Holy Spirit to move? When the Holy Spirit moves, it stirs up everything. And I'm not saying he's an it, he's a he, but the move of the Spirit stirs up things. You, you attract crazy people. You attract, you attract people with major needs. You attract people with demon spirits. I mean, people are attracted to the supernatural. To, to, to say, God, let your river flow is actually at the cost of, 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 the, of, of the smoothness of predictable Christianity. And, and, you know, often it'd be so easy for me to say, I'd rather, want, I'd rather have the rivers of familiarity. Just give me the, the Farfa and the Abana. Let, let them be clean and tidy. There's, there's, no, there's no problems. You know, we just have the... T- I, I don't, there's no such thing as a tidy revival. If you want revival, it's going to get a bit unpredictable. And here's the thing. If you want revival, you are no longer in control. When, when you get in the river, you're submitting your control to God. And so God right there says, no, basically, you're not dipping in what familiar to you. What's familiar to you has no power to heal. Some of us, we want to just stay in what's familiar to us. The way we worship, we've done the same hand lifting gesture for the last 45 years. We got familiar. Why don't you just explore it a little bit? Even just wave at the Lord one Sunday. Some of your tongues, they're the same. You're not even prone in tongues anymore. You're just doing the same old thing. You always go. You need new ones. I mean, some of us are so predictable. We get our every day with Jesus. We read it. Praise the Lord. We give our offering to the Lord. We have a little time of prayer. When's the last time? You jumped in that room. When's the last time you lost a bit of dignity in the house of God? When's the last time you got touched by the power of God? Some of us, we're, we're in the river, but it's so familiar. I don't know if we're in the river of God any more than just the river of routine. The rivers of predictability. They're clean, they're nice, they look spiritual, but they have no power. I feel like I've preached in places that are the Abana and the Farfa. They look nice. They, they are nice. I mean, I've been to some churches, and it's not a bad thing. One of my friend's churches, they spray a special spray that they order from Asia just to make the auditorium smell right. And, and to be honest with you, I'm not criticizing it because I've actually thought about the same thing because it's just nice. But... but, but but at the end of the day, my friend who does that doesn't think it has any power. He just likes the smell. But at the end of the day, how often is church just so... I don't want to be one of those. I don't want to be the Abana and the Farfa. I want to be the Jordan. It might not be tidy. It might not be the cleanest river in the area. But if you step into the water, there's something in those waters that'll bring about change and healing and breakthrough in the name of Jesus. Oh, I don't want rivers of religion. I want the river of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Praise God. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. He dipped seven times. Imagine all of his servants would be having a great time. They already think he's arrogant. They're already saying to him, 
If he told you something good, you would have done that. Because he said that, you don't want to do it. Just do it. So can you imagine all the servants just enjoying this? This is good. All right, first tip. He gets up. Nothing. Oh, do it again. Yeah, and he goes. Nice tip. Do it again. Imagine the sixth time. Imagine if Naaman had gone after six times. Doesn't work. See, some of you have prayed six times. You haven't seen the breakthrough. The full measure of that miracle. Could it come about in one split? Maybe there's a suddenly that God wants to do. Naaman gets up the seventh time. He's healed. One thing I've discovered about the river of God, most Christians dip once and go, that was refreshing. And they say, that was, that was a good time of refreshing. The river for me has never been a time of refreshing, though I'm refreshed. It's something you've got to live in. Don't, don't just dip once and go, oh, see, it was nice, but no real breakthroughs. I mean, summer revival was nice. You know? I like summer revival. It was, it's good. Can I, can I tell you, summer revival for me is just one dip in what should be a lifestyle of revival in the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says in Psalm 46, there is a river. Not there was. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Revelation 22, show me a river that flows from the throne of God in the land. This river flows from heaven. May not be, may not be familiar, may be uncomfortable. There's healing in those waters. There's breakthrough. Everywhere the river goes, Ezekiel says, there's life. I'm going to talk more about it next Sunday. But I don't want us to see the river as, as a style. Remember Frank Bailey is going to preach here in a month or so. Remember one day when I was a younger pastor. I'm still young, but I was, I was much younger. I said to him, how often do you have river meetings? And he just looked at me like, I was, like I had lost the plot. I couldn't work out why I was looking that, that way. He goes, David, the river's not a style. The river's not even a theology. The river's a person. And that person is the Holy Spirit. And can I tell you, when you jump into the river, the, the, re, the reason it's not perfect is it will be confronting. It will involve humility. It will involve stripping back your pride, even fear and doubt and saying, God, I'm fully vulnerable and hungry for your touch and your spirit. That river brings life. Church, I, I don't want us to be... I don't, by the way, I don't believe that the river should be an excuse for us to be undisciplined or to do church in a sloppy way or to, or to not work hard or all of those things. But I don't want to get so professional here that there's no power and that there's no anointing and that there's no breakthrough. We can have a tidy church, but I want a powerful church. And, and, and unfortunately, I, I, they don't often go together. If you want the move of God, you're going to have people come in that, that are incredibly needy and broken, that need a breakthrough in their life. And church, I pray that we would be a church that love the river. I, I want to be the river of Jordan. I want this place to be unprod- I don't want us to be the cleanest river in all of Damascus or all of Adelaide. Oh, I just want a river that has power 
to bring the breakthrough that people need in the name of Jesus. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. That is who He is. He's a supernatural God. Jump in and see the hand of God at work in your life. Thanks for listening to this message. We hope it was an encouragement to you. If you'd like to know more about David and Donna, please visit our website, davidhall.com.au. 